Hello and welcome to a Halloween bonus episode of Fantastic Fights, a podcast about a middle-aged man playing adventure game books in a doomed effort to recapture his youth. I'm your host, H.J. Doom, and this is one of our irregular bonus episodes where, rather than playing through every fighting fantasy game book in order, we take a look at some of the other books in the genre which I am legally required to describe as Determine Your Own Escapade. This episode we're delving into an appropriately spooky Doctor Who adventure book called The Horror of Howling Hill, which was written by Jonathan Green and published by Penguin Books in 2008. This adventure features the Tenth Doctor, as portrayed by David Tennant, and Martha, as portrayed by Fima Ajiman. I'm a big Doctor Who fan, more the original series than the reboot, so I'm curious to see how this turns out. There are actually some Determine Your Own Escapade books featuring earlier incarnations of the Doctor, more beloved of people of my vintage, shall we say. And who knows, perhaps I'll splash out on a copy of Doctor Who and the Rebels Gamble for a future episode. The Horror of Howling Hill was extremely cheap, if you fancy having a crack at this yourself. No character creation, no rules, no illustrations. So let's dive straight in to the horror of Howling Hill. Happy Halloween! Hearing the unexpected hooting of an owl, you suddenly notice how dark the sky has become. Black rags of cloud scud across the darkening velvet blue of night. You had not realised it was so late, and you are still some way from the cottage. The deal was that you could stay out at the playing fields by yourself until dusk. Then you had to hurry home, but now night has already fallen and you're still nowhere near your holiday house. You've been there almost a week, enjoying a short country break with the rest of your family on the outskirts of a pretty chocolate box Wiltshire village called Canbury. Like Stonehenge and the Stone Circle at Avebury, Canbury is steeped in the myth and mysticism of the Stone Age people, who used to claim these lands as their tribal hunting grounds. The owl hoots again, an eerie sound cutting through the night, and you cast your eyes towards the silhouette of the hill away to your left. On its crest, visible against a smattering of stars between the dark shapes of scrubby, wind-blown trees, is the solid black form of the Long Barrow. The ancient burial mound is one of the local tourist attractions that have put Kenbury on the map. Locally, the feature is known as Howling Hill. It is just at that moment that the owl's screeching cries are silenced by a terrible, mournful wail which echoes across the hillside and over the dreaming village beyond. You freeze, your blood turning to ice water in your veins. You have never heard anything like it, and you are convinced it came from somewhere nearby. Then the cry comes again, like some unearthly animal wailing, only closer this time. You are not alone. Well, it's a good spooky opening. So, we've got a couple of choices. We can either run away from this place as fast as you can, ah, the old shaggy manoeuvre, or you can stand your ground and see what happens next. Well, I'm going to play this as if it were actually me, and I am a tremendous physical coward, so we're going to run from this place as fast as we can. Without waiting to see what it is that would make such an appalling sound, you break into a run, hoping to reach the safety of the cottage as soon as possible. Got a nice little typo here. Uh, the sentence reads, And there, then, is someone standing on the path in front of you. Whereas, of course, it should read, And then, there is someone standing on the path in front of you. 
a man wearing a trench coat and sneakers, an attractive young woman wearing jeans and a maroon leather jacket is at his side. He holds up a pen-like object in front of him, a light shining at its tip. You stumble to a halt in surprise. With a horrendous roar, something bounds out of the darkness behind you. Get down! Quick! The man shouts. You do as he says. It seems like a sensible choice. I'm impressed at how quickly we've just run into the Doctor and Martha. Uh, that is a efficient bit of writing. The stranger's curious pen starts emitting a high-pitched sonic whine, and the bellowing behind you becomes a pained moaning. You dare to look round and get the impression of lank green hair, a monstrous misshapen body, and glowing coal eyes before whatever it is flees into the night again. Hello, says the man, offering you his hand to help you up. I'm the doctor. How do you do? I can either reply that I've never been so scared in all my life, or I can ask what he and his companion are doing in Canbury at night. I've been scared worse than that many times in my life. Uh, I'm scared of almost everything. So I'm going to ask what he and his companion are doing in Canbury at night. Seems a reasonable question. Oh, you know, the TARDIS picked up a recurring crystalline pattern energy signal, and well, I guess you could say our curiosity got the better of us, so... Here we are. But that's not important right now, is it, Doctor? Says the girl, who starts methodically checking you over, as if looking for any bumps or scratches. The important thing is, are you okay? I'm Martha, by the way. Breathing deeply to calm yourself, your heart rate returning to something approaching normal, you can't help feeling exhilarated by what has happened to you, as well as a little frightened. I'm all right, you tell her. I'll be okay. Great, says the Doctor. Come on then, Martha. Time we were on our way. Monster to catch and all that. Good day to you. Wait, you hear yourself say. Let me come with you. The doctor fixes you with those penetrating eyes of his. Hmm, I'm not so sure. I mean, I don't like the idea of putting you in danger. But surely three of us looking would be better than two, you say. And you've probably lost its trail thanks to me. Let me help you, and I'm sure we'll be able to track it down again in no time. A frown of consternation creases the doctor's brow, not least because it's clear that he's dealing with an idiot, and he sucks in his top lip as he looks you up and down. Our young friend's got a point, Martha says, speaking for you, and you did say there's nothing to worry about. Did I? Well, as good as. Silence descends between the two of them, leaving you shooting anxious glances at this mysterious doctor and his companion. Multiple anxious glances, one after the other. Oh well. Oh, go on then, the doctor says. If you think you're up for it. I am, you assert, excitedly. Very well, then. The doctor smiles mischievously. Which way do you think the creature went? Peering through the encroaching night, you can't exactly miss the massive black shape of Howling Hill. But nearby, you can also see the silhouette of a church tower, stark against the backdrop of the night sky. And then you hear the creature's dread howl again. But which direction did it come from? So a choice of the village church or the hill itself. I mean, it's hard to say which is the uh, the right answer. This is not exactly overwritten. I mean, all adventure game books do end up feeling a bit railroady at points, but this one does feel particularly railroady. It's called Howling Hill. It's the horror of Howling Hill, not the horror of Canbury Village Church. So we'll go to the hill. Without further delay, the three of you set off for the hill. It takes nearly an hour to scale the rugged escarpment. Good use of escarpment. The bitter night air whips around you on this exposed tour. Good use of tour. Someone had their thesaurus to hand. 
The doctor is staring intently in the direction of the barrow. To you, it looks like nothing more than a long grassy mound with a narrow entrance at one end between two large standing stones. Possibly because that's literally what a barrow looks like. Now, what's so special about this place, I wonder? The doctor muses. It's got the feel of that place on the Novorosk Peninsula in northern Russia. Nov what? Martha interrupts. Is this just another one of those trips down memory lane for you? There's more here than meets the eye, the doctor announces, and begins pacing out the perimeter of the ancient earthwork. Martha jogs to catch up with him. Do you want to investigate the barrow with the Doctor and Martha, or do you want to explore the small wood beyond it while they're busy instead? Well, if there's one thing I know about Doctor Who, it's that any companion left on their own for more than two minutes will instinctively wander off on their own and get into trouble. So I'm going to wander off on my own to the small wood and doubtless get into a fearful scrape. Hearing a mournful moaning sound, you jump, expecting the monster that was hunting you earlier to leap out of the darkness at you. But when no such attack comes, you realise that the sound you heard was nothing more than the wind sighing through the branches of the trees. It almost feels like I've missed a page, because this does not follow on at all well from the previous section, but I have checked, and I haven't. Then you hear a cry, and this time you know that something is wrong. Doctor! You hear Martha shouting. Doctor! You sprint back between the trees to the long barrow. Martha is standing there alone, hugging her leather jacket tight to herself, frantically pacing up and down over the wind-rippled grass. He was here one minute, gone the next, she exclaims. It's like he's disappeared into thin air. In the stunned silence with which you greet Martha's words, a second chilling cry rings out across the barren, blasted hilltop. This time there's no mistaking the bestial sound. The monster has found you. Quick, run! Martha screams. If you think that the best way to escape from the monster is for you to split up, you can. If you think it's a better idea to stick with Martha, you can do that too. As always, when in doubt, split the party. As Martha takes off towards the barrow's entrance, you leg it away from this spot as well. Even as you see the monster lolloping out of the darkness between the trees of the knotted wood towards you, there is no one to help you now and few places to hide. Do you want to run after Martha towards the entrance of the barrow, or would you rather try to wrong-foot the charging creature by making for the rear of the large mound? I mean, I think it's signalling pretty strongly that we ought to be following Martha. So, uh, yes, let's do that. Diving for cover between the two stones that mark the entrance to the mound, you scramble along the damp passageway cut into the earth beyond. There you are! comes Martha's agitated voice from some place ahead of you in the darkness. Quick, get down! Without stopping to ask why, you throw yourself down on the compacted earth floor of the tunnel, glancing back over your shoulder at the small patch of night sky visible beyond the barrow. As you watch, your heart in your mouth, you see an even darker silhouette stride past the entrance. It pauses for a moment, looking around, and you hold your breath, fearful, that it can hear your heaving breaths. Then, the creature raises its head and howls at the moon. A moment later, it is gone. And it's sending us directly to another page. That was a bit close for comfort, wasn't it? Comes a chirpy voice from behind you. Doctor! Martha cries, sounding both pleased and cross at the same time. What happened to you? You've heard of Alice in Wonderland, the doctor says, as he emerges from the darkness of the tunnel behind you. 
his sonic pen device lighting the way and giving his features a strange blue cast. What? Yes, of course. Lewis Carroll, Martha says, humouring him, an excited gleam in her eye. Yes, charming chap. Well, let's just say I fell into the same rabbit hole as Alice. Come on, this way. Too stunned to do anything other, you set off after the doctor as he leads the way along the damp earth tunnel, deeper into Howling Hill. The tunnel descends the further you progress until at last you come to a junction. I would suggest we go... He pauses, sniffing the air. Left. Do you want to do what the doctor says, or do you want to try and persuade the immortal space guru that he's wrong? I mean, probably shouldn't try and persuade him that he's wrong, but I'm going to anyway because I'm starting to develop a little bit of a sense of irritation towards the extent that this book is trying to get me to do things. Like, it doesn't even say that I've successfully persuaded the Doctor. It just launches straight into the next bit. Standing at the end of the passageway is the horror you had hoped never to see again. Looming over you is the monster, seven foot tall, 300 pounds of corded muscle, clawing limbs and cruel fangs. That's all it's doing. Looming. Something's not right. The creature is silent and hasn't attempted to attack you once. And there's something else. Its eyes are lifeless hollows. No smouldering light burns there now. It's a robot. I'm calling it now. It's a robot. Ah, uh, yet again we're just being sent directly to another page. Quite remarkable, the doctor says, half to himself as he takes a closer look, pen-like device in hand. I feel like at this point... They maybe should have just had the Doctor tell you that it's a sonic screwdriver. What is it, Doctor? asks his companion, joining him at his side. It's an organic construct along the lines of the Grendel configuration. I haven't seen one of those since uh, the 6th century AD. And what's an organic construct when it's at home? Martha persists, drawing the Doctor's attention back to the matter in hand. Well, to put it simply, it's kind of an organic robot. Organic? You mean you can just grow your own? Martha says. It's a little more complicated than that, but you've got the gist of it. Only this one appears to be broken. Broken? You ask, trying to make sense of what you're hearing. In other words, it's dead. So this isn't the thing that's been chasing us around the hilltop then, Martha asks, the colour draining from her cheeks. No, the doctor says darkly. It would appear there's a second one, still active. But who would have an organic robot, you ask? Good question. Let's find out. And again, we're being sent to another page. This isn't so much determine your own escapade as have exactly the escapade that we've planned for you. Taking the left-hand passageway, you follow it deeper and deeper into the hill. Eventually, it comes to a dead end in front of a huge flat boulder that blocks the tunnel. By the light of the Doctor's hand-held device, you can make out a pattern of combined spiral carvings on its smooth surface. Curiouser and curiouser. What is it, Doctor? Martha ventures. I do believe it's a door, he replies. A door? Yes, but don't worry, I have a key, he says, waggling the device in his hand. He fiddles with the pen-like object that we still haven't named, and then points it at the flat boulder. There is a shrill, sonic whine, and the spiral carving at the stone centre begins to glow with an inner blue light. You stare, open-mouthed, as, with a harsh, grating sound, the stone slides to one side, revealing another tunnel beyond. Sonic screwdriver, 
at last. The Doctor grins. Never leave home without one. Isn't a very punchable reading of the Doctor, this. You follow as he and Martha advance along the next passageway, which soon opens out into a large circular chamber. You notice that the walls now appear to be made of rough stone, as if cut out of the bedrock beneath Howling Hill. Two more passageways lead away from here. Which way now? Martha asks. And we get to make a decision. Excellent. I guess it's probably not that the Doctor's punchable, it's that I'm portraying the Doctor and I'm quite punchable. I think David Tennant would probably have done better. Do we want to go left or right? Well, you know that when it comes to a binary choice, I always go left. So we'll go left. Exiting via this passageway, you come out in a second circular chamber. The walls are faced with cut stones which have been carved with yet more knotwork patterns, like those favoured by the Celts, and the same repeating spiral pattern you saw on the stone door. I can honestly say I've never seen anything quite like this, the Doctor says in wonder, his voice echoing back to you by the weird acoustics of this underground chamber. Another circular tunnel leads onwards into the hill on the other side of the chamber. Do you think you should push on, or do you want to stay here a while and have a closer look at the intricate carvings that are an obvious clue? We'll have a look at the obvious clue, I reckon. I am genuinely curious to find out what's going on, but it's done that, that much for me. It's incredible to think that whoever made these marks did so thousands of years ago, with only the most primitive of tools. Or did they? As you run your fingers over the time-worn carvings, they too begin to glow with an inner light. You pull your hand away in shock, and the light fades again. Fascinating, says the doctor suddenly at your shoulder. What have you found? I, I didn't mean to, you begin. Don't apologise, the doctor stops you. This is brilliant. I think you might have gone way to solving the mystery of Howling Hill all by yourself with this discovery. At the Doctor's warm words of praise, you can't help but feel pleased with yourself, a smile breaking out across your face. Come on, let's keep going, the Doctor declares as he strides enthusiastically out of the chamber and into the next one. You follow, beaming from ear to ear, as the Doctor leads the way out of the chamber. Two out of the chambers in two consecutive sentences. Someone didn't read Writing 101. And so, at last, you come to the... I know it is literally a repeating thing. Okay. And so, at last, you come to the last chamber of them all, which also happens to be the largest. The shadowy dome of its roof soars away above you, making it feel like you are standing inside some vast cavern, because you're standing inside some vast cavern. That last bit was me. The vaulted space is decorated with the same carved stonework riddled with glittering crystalline deposits. However, where it differs from the other chambers is in the addition of the stone throne. It stands alone at the centre of the chamber, rising from the bedrock from which it appears to have been carved. But it is empty. The warrior king who must have once slept under this hill is long gone. As you gaze upon it, you find yourself strangely drawn to the empty throne. Do you want to rest for a moment and sit on the throne, or would you rather not? I mean, we're going to sit on the throne. I mean, we are totally going to sit on the throne, but uh, yeah, if the throne eats us, turns out to be an Auton, then uh, yeah, I went into this with my eyes open. You feel understandably tired after running around Cairnsbury for half the night, being chased by a monster out of some ancient myth, making the climb to the top of Howling Hill and then descending deep inside it. 
easing yourself onto the cold stone of the throne, you see that it too is full of tiny glittering seams of crystal. If you didn't know better, you could quite easily believe they looked just like computer circuits. Suddenly, your head is filled with unreal images. You see stars streaming past you at hyperspeed as you hurtle through the blackness of space. Then it is as if you are riding just one of those stars as it drops through the atmosphere towards the night black landscape below. It looks like you're going to crash. You come to with a start, feeling Martha's hand on your shoulder. What, what, what was that? You splutter. Are you all right? She asks for what seems like the umpteenth time. I, I don't know, is your honest reply. Interesting, says the doctor, peering at you as if you were some kind of experimental subject like a mouse in a maze. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. And again, we're being thrust onto the next step of the adventure without so much as a by your leave. I've made my assessment, the doctor announces, his voice echoing hollowly from the cavern walls. He looks at you expectantly, as if waiting for you to say something. And what are your conclusions? Martha asks providing him with his cue. We're inside a spaceship, he says, beaming. I guessed that much. How could you know that, you ask in amazement. Occupational hazard of travelling with the doctor, she confides, smiling now as well. You feel completely overwhelmed. What is it that you do, doctor? You find yourself asking as you try and make sense of everything you've experienced over the last few hours since you first met the doctor and Martha. We are travellers. The doctor says, suddenly serious, in time and space. We're inside an alien spaceship that probably crashed here thousands of years ago. And the monster that's been chasing you is some kind of organic robot. Will that do as an explanation? Dumbfounded, you say nothing. Right then, he says, clapping his hands together. Oh, I'm glad we've got that sorted out. Now, if we're going to solve this mystery once and for all, I think we're going to need to get back to the village. Allons-y! Following the doctor, who sets off at an energetic pace, you trudge back through what he claims to be a buried spaceship, finally exited it again through the long barrow at the top of the hill. Yep, yep, exited rather than exiting. This was not even slightly proofread. I mean, I'm dyslexic and I'm spotting these, so probably loads that I'm not spotting as well. Did you touch something while you were exploring the tunnels beneath the barrow which had an unexpected effect? I surely did. The now unpleasantly familiar howl of the beast cuts through the night once again. A creature is still on your tail. Yup, definitely a Grendel configuration, the doctor says, his head on one side as if listening intently. You can hear it in its vocal matrix once you know what you're listening for. Anyway, it's time we were on our way again. Doctor, wait, Martha shouts, bringing you all to a standstill. If you know what the thing is now, can't you stop it? You've been able to hold it off so far. I don't think so. Not from here, anyway. The Grendel's relentless. It must be its bio-programming. I'm not sure how long the sonic screwdriver will be able to hold it off, either. If it feels determined enough. So, as I was saying, it's time we made our getaway. Finding the reserves of energy from somewhere, the three of you race off again. This time down the steep hillside. Look, Martha calls, pointing westwards through the night. There, at the corner of the field, you can see a parked caravan, a satellite dish on its roof gleaming white in the moonlight. Let's go that way. No, counters the doctor, pointing east back towards the village. We need not to be distracted. Let's go to the village. The caravan's nearer, declares Martha. 
the village, the doctor insists. Who do you think is right? Whoever you side with, the other will be forced to join you to avoid the three of you becoming separated. Do we follow the doctor towards Canbury or go to the caravan? Apologies if you can hear an actual howling in the background. It's not a Grendel configuration robot. It's just a cat that feels now is a suitable time for dinner. I should point out that the cat has a bowl full of food sitting in this very room in which I'm podcasting, which for reasons that are occult is unfavourable. So I do apologise if you hear strangled yowling. There's not much I can genuinely do about him. Uh, We are going to go in the direction of the caravan. Well, I go with the obvious choice when you can go with the left field decision. Two against one. The Doctor has no choice but to follow you and Martha in the direction of the curious caravan. Reaching the edge of the field, the three of you scramble over a five-bar gate and then have to wade through a sucking soup of mud and cowpats to reach the parked vehicle. Right, I'll do the honours, shall I? says Martha and strides boldly towards the caravan, ready to knock on the door. Oh, and another, another lovely sentence here. If you want to stop her and suggest you should, it might be wise to sneak a peek inside the caravan first, you can. If you let her knock on the door, you can do that too. So... I think I should, it might be wise. Uh, Yeah, I definitely think I should, it might be wise. So we will sneak a peek in the caravan first, assuming she listens. While Martha and the Doctor keep their distance, you creep up to the caravan past a chugging, petrol-guzzling generator and, standing on tiptoes, peer in through a grimy window. You see a young man, probably in his early twenties, tapping away at a keyboard in front of a computer his wild hair and beard weirdly illuminated by the ghostly glow of the screen. Sounds like a podcast host, I know, apart from being in his early 20s. And then you hear the chilling howl once again and feel a knot of fear form in the pit of your stomach. Ooh, that sound, the doctor says with a shudder. Sets your teeth right on edge, doesn't it? Reminds me of that time at the Torchwood Estate in Scotland. When was that, you ask? Happy to be distracted for a moment from the unearthly wailing. Ooh, let me see. Uh, 1879, I think it was. Come on, you two, urges Martha. That thing's still on the loose. What are we going to do now? Do you want Martha to knock on the door of the caravan? Or do you want to hurry back to the village? Well, we'll knock on the door of the caravan. A grungy young man answers the door. His orange hair is matted into dreadlocks and he has a wispy ginger beard on his pasty white chin. He's wearing a coarse poncho that would be described elsewhere as ethnic by terrible people and baggy tie-dyed trousers. Yes, can I help you? He asks rather testily on seeing Martha. Um, yes, well, she struggles to begin. Oh my goodness, it's you! The man suddenly exclaims, looking past Martha at the doctor, standing behind her, his prized sneakers plastered with mud. Uh, It was last time I looked, he says uncertainly. This is unreal. Those saddos on Facebook. I'm sorry, it's a made-up social media site. Those saddos on Facebook are never going to believe this. I never thought I'd actually get to meet you in person and everything. Wait till I tell Keith. He's going to be so jealous. Who's Keith? Martha whispers so that only you and the doctor can hear. I have no idea. The doctor hisses back. But where are my manners? The young man says, suddenly remembering himself. Come in, come in. The three of you squeeze into the cramped caravan after the excited young doctor spotter. You had no idea there were others who already knew of this man you found yourself with on an adventure. 
The caravan itself is something else. It's full of what looks like junk, mixed in with a fair amount of computer equipment. Towers, monitors, scanners, and other assorted electrical gubbins. It also smells rather musty, like unwashed socks, which is also what the bearded geek smells like. Look, don't think me rude, says Martha, but who are you? Sorry, sorry, should have said. Ignoring both of you and Martha, he wipes his sweaty palm on his trousers and holds it out to the doctor. Zack Katz, at your service. Pleased to meet you, doctor. You can't help but be intrigued. You want to ask Zack how he knows about the doctor, or do you want to ask him what he's doing here? I want to find out how he knows about the doctor. Better not be because he's watched him on television. Um, Zack mumbles self-consciously. I have a, uh, a, a dossier on him. A dossier? exclaims Martha. Zack rummages among a stack of papers on the caravan's small fold-out table. He pulls out a coffee-stained cardboard folder and retrieves a hefty wad of documents which are held together with a rubber band and hands them to Martha. I've got all sorts of stuff in there, he says as Martha starts to flick through it. Copies of police reports concerning the appearance of the Web Star over London on Christmas Day 2006. A patient chart from the Royal Hope Hospital. Even a school photograph from the Farringdon Boys School in Hertfordshire dated 1913. You have been busy, mutters the doctor, rummaging through some of Zack's other disorganised papers. Got a girlfriend, have you? Oh, look, he exclaims, excitedly holding a dog-eared copy of the Fortean Times. Oh, I love this. That's his inner geek speaking, Martha tells you with a wink. I've appeared in it myself on a number of occasions, never intentionally, of course. With Martha absorbed in the dossier and the doctor thumbing through the magazines, a great feeling of tiredness suddenly overcoming you, your attention begins to wander, and a light on a curious metal box with its own tiny satellite dish on top. Do you want to ask Zack what it is, or do you want to ask him what he's doing here in the shadow of Howling Hill? Let's ask Zack about the curious metal box. Before the young man can answer, the doctor chips in, saying, My, my, that's a primitive modulating energy pulse wave detection unit, if I'm not very much mistaken. It's a, a, a scanner, Zack corrects him. That's what I said, wasn't it? replies the doctor, sounding hurt. I made it myself. Very clever, the doctor concedes. And what have you been scanning with it? The hill, and uh, believe it or not, it started picking up a weak energy signal, like a repeating energy pulse. Oh, I believe it. The doctor grins. He is about to say something else when that now oh-so-familiar dread howl shatters the eerie still of the night. And we're thrust into the next section. Did you hear that? Zack asks, his voice squeaking with nervous excitement. Oh, we heard that all right, the doctor replies darkly. And it means we're running out of time. The beast is getting close. Come on, says Zack. This is our chance. Our chance to do what? asks Martha. To solve the mystery, Zack replies, ready to open the caravan door. No, we need to get back to the village, the doctor persists. I'm sure that's where we'll find the next piece of the puzzle. If you say so, doctor, Martha concedes. But I'm worried about risking our young friend's safety out there with the beast still on the prowl. You think you should stay where you are? Or do you want to convince the doctor and Martha, and presumably Zack, that you'll be all right outside as long as you're with them? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be all right outside. Nothing bad ever happens to people outside. I want to come too, Zack declares, the spark of excitement bright in his eyes. Very well, the doctor says with a sigh. Martha, I make that three against one. Come on. 
your party now numbering four with the doctor leading the way, you all hasten across the field, scramble over a stile and then race off along a country lane back towards the village. As you run, you still half expect the monster to leap out at you again out of the darkness. But no such attack comes, and, the Doctor apparently scanning for something with his sonic screwdriver, you come at last to Cairnbury's local archaeological museum. Have you already visited the village museum? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. Let's, let's do it now. Lungs heaving and gasping for breath, you come at last to the local museum, which lies at the heart of the village of Cairnbury. It's an unassuming place, and unsurprisingly, considering it must be the early hours of next morning by now, it's all locked up. Peering through the grimy cobweb-covered windows, you can see nothing. There are no lights on inside. What are you waiting for? Christmas? Calls the doctor from the door to the museum. Just as you are about to ask how he managed to open the door, he waves the sonic screwdriver at you as if reading your mind. One moonlight penetrates the dusty windows, bathing the glass display cases and wooden cabinets arrayed around the room with its eerie, silvery light. Is Zack with you? He is. Over here says Zack, leading you all to the far side of what is effectively just a large room. Just look at that, he says, pointing to a tall display case in which has been mounted a set of bones. And tell me that isn't an alien. Yes, quite, says the doctor, giving the exhibit only a cursory glance, before moving on to another display case altogether. This one contains a bronze helmet set with glittering semi-precious stones. Do you want to look at the helmet or the skeleton? Well, this is a Halloween special, so we're gonna look at the spooky skeleton. The skeleton is a very strange shape for a human being, which of course we already know it isn't. It's around six feet tall, but the ribcage and skull seem squashed together. The arm and leg bones are long and spindly, the skeleton's fingertips reaching down past its knees. Canbury Man, you read out loud from a faded yellow exhibit label. Example of one of Homo sapiens Cro-Magnon ancestors, uncovered beneath Canbury Barrow by Arthur Cornelius Cove, 26th September 1908. Looks like the missing link to me, Martha laughs. Don't you agree, Doctor? 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 The Doctor, now wearing a pair of thick-rimmed glasses, is busy studying the Anglo-Saxon helmet in the other display case. Never mind that, he says. Come and take a look at this. Magnificent, isn't it? He says. And before you know it, he's got the cabinet open and is lifting the helmet from its display stand. Martha looks around nervously as if she's expecting a burglar alarm to go off. Breaking and entering? Is there no end to your talents? She asks him. Don't worry, says the doctor, realising what she must be thinking. I deactivated the alarm before we entered. Now, let's have a look at you, you beauty, shall we? He says turning his attention back to the helmet in his hands. He starts tinkering with the artefact, getting out his sonic screwdriver again. That's the telepathic command relays, realigned and recalibrated, he says after a few minutes fiddling with the helmet. It looks as though the doctor's trying to repair it, although it doesn't actually appear broken to you. Nothing very serious, he goes on, but it would have stopped the control helm working as it should. Now back to the hill, but this time we're taking this with us. Doctor, isn't this stealing? says Martha warily. Oh, I think it was Arthur Cove who was the thief, don't you? the doctor says sagely. We're just going to return this to its original owners, as it were. You have never spent such an energetic night as you have this night, running around with the doctor and Martha. And now you think you can see where it is all leading. Is Zack Katz with you? 
he is. So once again, we don't get to make an actual choice. We just get railroaded to the next event. Hurrying along the darkened country lanes, your way ahead bathed in cold moonlight, you head back towards the looming presence of Howling Hill. Your route takes you past the field in which Zack's caravan is parked. As you get close, he suddenly pipes up. Can you just wait a second? What on earth for? asks the doctor, stumbling to a halt. I just want to get my digital camera to record this moment for posterity, Zack explains. And then I can email Keith the pictures. He's never going to believe this. I'm not sure now's really the time, the doctor says warily, and time is, as always, of the essence. If you want to tell Zack to forget the camera and come with you, you can. Or if you don't say anything, you can do that too. Um, I'm not the boss of him. He can go for his camera if he wants. Zack hops back over the stile into the field while the rest of you press on for the hill. Only a matter of moments later you hear a nerve-shredding howl which is followed by a petrified scream and a terrible rending sound. Zack! Martha calls out, but her cry is met by a silence more chilling than the scream that preceded it. Come on! The doctor shouts to you both, running for the style himself now. He needs our help! Turning on your heels, you and Martha both chase after the doctor, heading back towards the caravan. When you enter the field, you are met by a scene of utter devastation. The caravan has been torn open as if it were made of paper. Zack's carefully collected documents are strewn across the muddy ruts of the field or caught in the hedgerows. You see his computer lying smashed on the floor of the ripped open caravan. Boss of Zack himself, there is no sign. Oh, Doctor, Martha says appalled. What have we done? He's been abducted. The creature must have taken him, the Doctor says darkly. If we're going to help him, we have to get back to the barrow. And once again, no choice about where we go. And so, at last, out of breath, but a rush of adrenaline giving you a second wind, you find yourself back at the summit of Howling Hill. Where now? Zack asks, suddenly looking around him, having apparently been unkidnapped. I actually had to go back and check that I'd followed the correct path, but I did follow the correct path, and yes, Zack is now with us. I don't know why. Where now, he says. The doctor laughs. Why into the hill, of course? The four of you hurry inside, racing along the tunnel beyond, until you come to the strange stone door again. At a press of a switch on the Doctor's trusty sonic screwdriver, the door slides open again and you enter what he claims is the spaceship once more. With a terrible roar, the Grendel Beast launches itself out of the darkness of the tunnel ahead of you. It's been lying in wait for you here. With one great swipe of a taloned arm, it floors the Doctor. Before either of you or Martha can do anything to stop it, the creature seizes Zack in its monstrous hands. It lifts him bodily off the ground as he shouts, kicks and struggles against it. But all to no avail. In moments it is gone, disappearing back into the darkness. You are torn as to who to help first, but seeing Martha's concern at the Doctor's plight, you join her at his side. So, Zack has now been re-kidnapped. Presumably he'll be mysteriously back again on the next page, but for now... Zack's kidnapping status set to on. Doctor, are you all right? Martha asks, gently shaking him by the shoulder. The doctor sits up suddenly, startling both of you. Never felt better, he announces. Although I'm not sure the same could be said of Zack. We'd better get after him. There's no time to lose, Alonzi! Racing further into the hill after the monster and Zack, 
you come to the circular chamber with the two exits again. Do you go left or right? We go left. We always go left. Pretty sure you went left last time. You enter the next chamber to see the knotwork patterns carved into the stone walls, gleaming bright white. The light is projecting onto the domed roof of the chamber, looking suspiciously like a star map of the heavens. We're running out of time, gasps the doctor. Why? What does all this mean? Martha asks, pointing to the map of the Milky Way above you. The ship's navigational computer is online again, which means it must be preparing for takeoff, he explains. But if that's the case, the ship must think it's got itself a new pilot at long last. This spaceship thinks, you say. Well, that's impossible. Quit this way, the doctor cuts you off, shouting to be heard over the rising hum that is filling the chamber now. If you're trying to save Zack Katz, then you go to one page. If you've not, never met Zack Katz, you go to another. Well, we have met Zack Katz, so that determines where we go. You push on until you reach the throne room at the heart of the Barrow ship. You stumble to a halt in surprise as you take in what has happened to the vast vault since you were all here last. Blue light fills the hold beneath the hill, banishing the darkness that has clung on here for so many years. A sonorous sound fills the space as well, just as you would imagine a spaceship's engines would sound if they were powering up ready for a takeoff. Great imagery there. The spaceship engines sound like spaceship's engines, which I guess is at least accurate. And there is Zack Katz, slumped in the stone throne. He appears to be unconscious. Giving voice to a blood-curdling roar, the Grendel Beast launches itself at your party from its hiding place beside the chamber entrance, bearing down on you with loping strides, its terrible talons raised, ready to strike. You scatter into the chamber, the monster pursuing the Doctor. But of course, he has the helmet. Something tells you the sonic screwdriver isn't going to stop the horror now, so you are going to have to act quickly if you are all going to get out of this in one piece. Do you want to rescue Zack or do you want to help the Doctor? I figure the Doctor knows what he's doing. I'm going to rescue Zack. Running over to the throne, you shake Zack by the shoulders, calling his name, desperately trying to rouse him. Slowly, he opens his eyes. What's going on? He mumbles. The Doctor's under attack, you exclaim. We've got to get you out of here. We're here to save you. It looks like the Doctor's the one who needs saving, he says, suddenly seeming more alert. But it's okay. I know what to do. Give me the helmet. Do you want to get the helmet for Zack, or do you want to get him out of harm's way as quickly as possible? I don't entirely trust Zack, since he's been unconscious on the throne of evil science, so let's just try and get him out of harm's way as quickly as possible. I don't think that's a good idea, you say, as you help Zack to his feet. I'm sure the Doctor's got the situation under control. Let's just get out of here as quickly as we can. Zack's movements sir clumsy and uncoordinated as if he's still half asleep and so you help him towards the tunnel that leads out of the chamber you glance back over your shoulder to see the doctor and martha forcing the bronze helmet down on top of the horror's misshapen skull it bellows at them and the light in its eyes burns crimson then suddenly it stops and you fancy you can see sparks crackling around its head come on gasps the Doctor as he and Martha join you and Zack at the entrance to the tunnel. I think it's time we all got out of here, don't you? The four of you hurry back through the passageways and chambers of the ship until you reach the strange stone door again. The Doctor opens it, and then in no time at all, you're sprinting out of the barrow and down the rugged hillside, the ground shuddering violently beneath your feet. A dull boom ripples through the escarpment, throwing you to the ground. The aftershock of the explosion echoes across the landscape for miles around. 
A second later, you hear a crashing roar as half the hillside collapses in on itself. When the dust and dirt has settled, the Doctor, Martha, Zack and yourself clamber to your feet and take in the devastation that the destruction of the ship has caused. There is now a gaping crater in one side of Howling Hill. How are we supposed to explain that? Zack asks, staring in amazement at the vast hole in the ground. Oh, I'm sure people will just put it down to subsidence, the Doctor says casually. What just happened? You ask in disbelief. Haven't you worked it out yet? The doctor laughs. That was an alien survey ship buried under there. It must have crash-landed here thousands of years ago. Its pilot was killed, but being semi-organic, the ship shared a psychic link with its pilot. So without one, it was unable to take off again. It's been sending out organic drones, like the horror that chased you to find another one ever since. However... The command helm that connected the ship to the pilot was damaged, so whoever the drones brought back, it never worked, leaving the ship still stuck here. And after Arthur Cove took the helmet from the ship, there wasn't a hope of it ever working. We're being sent off to another one. Well, that's the mystery of the legend of Howling Hill put to bed, the Doctor says, looking pleased with himself. I do think this is genuinely a slightly punchable version of the Doctor. I mean, it's one of those things that it is easy to cross the line with, the magic spaceman can end up being the magic spaceman in need of a bit of a kicking but this does feel a little bit egregious the four of you are standing in the middle of the village green in front of a strange blue box that you've never noticed before while gallivanting about with the doctor no way zack exclaims unable to contain his excitement you can't understand what he's so excited about this is just an old police call box isn't it you say bewildered it's a tardis martha tells you just happens to look like an old police core box. It's the TARDIS, actually, the Doctor points out, since it's the only one left. But what is a TARDIS? You ask. It stands for time and relative dimension in space, the Doctor explains. I was right, Zack weeps. This is your ship, isn't it? You've got a sharp one here, the Doctor says, smiling at Martha. A spaceship, you say incredulously. That's right, the Doctor says, pushing open the door. Care to take a look inside? Peering through the doorway, you have your breath taken away as you take in what appears to be a vast control room impossibly squeezed into the much smaller police box. But it's bigger on the inside, Zack begins. Than it is on the outside, the doctor finishes for him. Yep, I'd sort of noticed that myself. Now then, you two, how about a quick journey? Just one, kind of like a thank you for your help. Before you know it, both you and Zack are standing inside the impossible control room, with Martha saying, that's how it started with me, just one quick trip. And then, with the TARDIS wheezing asthmatically, you're off. This adventure might be over, but your journey through time and space is only just beginning. The end. Well, I have some thoughts. So, that's the adventure. I'm going to keep my remarks brief. Obviously, there's some real issues with proofreading and editing on this book. There's a couple of very egregious typos and one occasion where the reading order flat out doesn't make any sense, where one of the characters appears and disappears. There's also a lot of sections that take you directly to another section without any choice at all. Not to mention the false choices where choosing one outcome quickly sends you back to where the author wants you to go. It feels very linear and I think I'd have to try very hard to have an adventure other than the specific one the author intended me to have, which kind of misses the point of a 
determine your own escapade style book. It's not all bad though. The flip side is that you do get to see more or less the entire book on a single playthrough and it does feel quite a lot like being in a mediocre episode of Doctor Who. The core plot makes sense. You have a mysterious threat introduced, you investigate its origins, find some clues, go to the village to get more clues and then return for a final confrontation with the menace which ends with a mildly spectacular set piece. Uh, that works fine. I also found the Doctor more irritating than charming in these sequences, but, you know, your mileage may vary. There's also a distinct lack of agency caused by the presence of the Doctor being the de facto hero of the story, and that feels a bit unsatisfying for all that you do occasionally get to tell an immortal Time Lord what to do. So what we end up with is not a particularly satisfying science fiction romp with some traditional Doctor Who overtones which fall at the Scooby-Doo end of the horror spectrum. I suspect the author may have been somewhat hampered by a very specific design brief that didn't allow much deviation from the script and a work-for-hire pay packet that probably was small enough that it significantly discouraged him from more meticulous work. Uh, I don't know what the editors were doing. There's a lot in there that they really should have spotted. So that's it. That's all from me. Join me again in a week or so when I'll be playing through Steve Jackson, not that Steve Jackson, the other Steve Jackson's fighting fantasy book, Scorpion Swamp. Take care and I'll see you soon. <laughs>